Welcome back to the Business of Biotech. Today we're heading south of the border, way south of the border, for a conversation with the leaders of a biopharma company at the forefront of the burgeoning South American biotech scene. Dr. Pablo Valenzuela is a true pioneer of biologic therapy, and he's CEO of Andes Biotechnologies. Joining him today is Christian Hernandez Cuevas, COO at the company. We're going to pick up some sage advice on gap analysis for biopharmas preparing for the clinic from a couple of biotech luminaries who are well qualified to walk you through your next steps. Let's give it a listen. So thank you for joining us. And the first thing I want to do is express uh, what an honor it is to welcome two of the leading minds uh, in biopharma to help us wrap up season two of the business of biotech. And joining me today uh, from Santiago, Chile, and from what city are you in, Dr. Valenzuela? Berkeley, California. Berkeley. From Berkeley, California are uh, Dr. Pablo Valenzuela and Christian Hernandez Cuevas. Did I get the pronunciation right there? Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to try, and I want you to correct me when I get it wrong. Uh, Christian <laughs> and Dr. Valenzuela, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, we're, we're honored to have you. And I'm going to give our audience a little bit of background on each of you. And, and this is where I want you to feel free to jump in and correct me if I get anything wrong. Some of this I'm going to have to read because my Spanish is uh, minuscule. Um, so if you happen to be a listener who lives in South America, uh, you may recognize Christian as the host of the television show. Here we go. Todo por la ciencia. Correct. That's fine. Perfect. Maybe, the, yeah. maybe, maybe the cadence is a little off, but that, that translates to all for science, which showcases South American scientists and the work uh, that their companies are doing. Uh, but Christian is not just a television personality. He uh, holds a master's degree in bioscience enterprise from the University of Cambridge and a BSc in molecular biotech engineering from the University of Chile. Uh, in the UK, uh, he served as business development manager at Daniel Labs. Daniel? Yes. Uh, okay. In, in Cambridge, where he managed the company's merger with Vastox to form Summit uh, PLC. He lectures on the intersection of uh, biotech and business at, at colleges and doctoral programs uh, throughout Chile. Uh, holds multiple biotech board seats and currently serves as both the business director at, here we go, fund, <laughs> Fundacion Ciencia and Vida? Yes. Ciencia y Vida. Y Vida, okay. <laughs> which, uh, which, which translates uh, to, to the, the, the Science and Life Foundation, which is a yes, foundation correct. that both of our, our guests today are, are, uh, are heavily in, involved in. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on the show. Um, he's also operations directors, uh, director at Andes Biotechnologies. Uh, I'm sure I've missed some stuff in there, Christian, but that's more than enough. Thanks right. for this warm introduction. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, Dr. Valenzuela uh, has a storied career, uh, including, uh, and, and I'm sure to miss some things here as well, but I'm going to try to give the highlights. Uh, longtime professorship in the biochemistry department uh, at UC San Francisco. Before, before or, or, or during which uh, you founded Chiron Corporation. Okay and uh, helped grow that to become the second largest biotech at the time uh, in the world. 
Uh, as research director there, Dr. Valenzuela developed a variety of biotech products for the blood banking industry uh, and played a lead role in the invention of the recombinant vaccine against the hepatitis B virus. Did I get that correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Valenzuela went on to found Chile's first biotech, Bios Chile, co-founded the aforementioned Science for Life Foundation and founded Andes Biotechnologies uh, back in 2008. So again, I know that's a very abbreviated uh, overview of your CV, Dr. Valenzuela, but you've led a distinguished career and I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show. Fine, thank you a lot. <laughs> so we're going to uh, talk a bit later, uh, as I said, about the growth of biotech in Chile and the work that uh, Christian and Dr. Valenzuela uh, and the foundation are doing to drive that growth. But first, we're going to spend some time on the topic of hand uh, in, in, in accordance with our series. Uh, and that's, uh, that's a discussion around gap analysis. We're going to cover, for new and emerging uh, biotech leaders, we're going to cover what that is, what it should look like, what data it should consider, and how automation and digital technologies are changing the gap analysis game and the, and the biopharma game in general. So let's start kind of with this conversation about the digital revolution. I was making a comment uh, before we came on air uh, with, with Dr. Valenzuela about the fact that his career, which began back in the 70s, um, has seen some incredible transformational uh, changes toward digitization of, of the work that we do in science. Um, so I'm interested in your perspective on that, Dr. Valenzuela, to kick things off. What impact are you seeing this newer era of digital having on drug discovery and, and process and the data that can be accessed and processed? I think it has a, a great impact uh, because it is really a fundamental tool for drug development. Today, there are two ways, easy ways to envision that impact. Usually a drug is a molecular species that binds to a receptor or to a protein. There are drugs that inhibit or activate proteins. There are drugs that turn off or on receptors. The, the important thing is that how we develop a new drug from the point of view of using digital information. We need one of these two players we need to know more or less the structure of one of these two players. Either we know the structure of the receptor, and then we do different trials of docking small molecules in a way that they bound in the, bind in the, in the pockets of this receptor. So we need the structure of the receptor. And in such a way, we start discovering molecules that do this binding and eventually improving them by chemical modification and look at the computer again and see how they bind and eventually end up with two or three compounds that can be tested now biological. There is another way also, which is when you have an active molecule that you know is active, then you can use that and modify that through digital modifications and look how you can produce analogs of that. So in that case, you know the, stru the, the structure of the active molecule 
and you are envisioning the way how that active molecule and new molecules bind to the receptor, mm -hmm. which is not known in this case. So you play with, with the small entity instead of with the protein entity. Those things have already, it's be, they're being done right now. We, we have, for example, we are partners of a company in the US that have a group of modeling in the India, chemical synthesis and modeling. And, and it has come out with improved molecules of the ones that we discovered. So it's a very active way to do this. Myself and I don't know, Christian, have not done a lot of this because most of the molecules that we have developed are biologicals, mm -hmm. are proteins. And so that's another way of doing it. But a, again, digital work is very important for data analysis, X-ray crystallography, for quite a few things. And perhaps uh, Christian can uh, join and say some other examples. Well, there's all these omics, you know, the proteomics, metabolomics, and so on. So all this kind of intersection between um, information technologies and biology, where you start analyzing big sets of data, uh, that it's accelerating every day. So there is a lot of space where digital tools are helping biopharma, for sure. Yeah, and I forgot one very interesting case. Mm. We founded with a friend, a company here in California, it's called Trancura Biosciences. And we have only one person working, which is the founder itself and myself. And he does bioinformatics, only a computer. That's the only machine of the lab. Yeah. And then what he does takes information from the gene bank, from people that publish sequences of the genes of a given process or a, a given, given set of molecules of a cell. And then take all that data and look for antibody genes. And we look for antibody genes, the immunoglobulins, and then we look when they turn on and off and are able, even in silico, completely develop a new antibody base in that information from a paper of another person that did that sequence for other reasons. We use the same sequence for our reason. And yeah. we have found antibodies and finally produced them in the lab through a third company and they work. So we, we don't yeah, produce sure. antibodies by injecting an animal and getting the antibodies. We look at the antibody genes that somebody published for another reason mm -hmm. and then end up with antibodies that work. I forgot completely about that because that's all using. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I, I, it's got to be an incredible efficiency enabler as development goes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and I want to talk about, you know, beyond just drug discovery and development, uh, how, how digital technologies are uh, creating other efficiencies for companies like yours, Christian. Um, and, and, and as you know, we want, we want to spend some time talking about gap analysis, this, which is a big concept and it's a very data-centric mm -hmm. concept, right? This, we define gap analysis as this process of reviewing all the available information for a candidate product to assess 
current development status, identify potential gaps uh, in the information, uh, what subsequent steps are required, and develop a strategy to kind of fill those holes. That's a that, that, that's a lot to kind of swallow at, at, at once. So uh, let, let's be, before we talk about uh, the, the 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 digital uh, enablers of a gap analysis, tell me uh, from your perspectives why is this step so important? Just at a, at a root level, what, why why is gap analysis such an important yeah. step? Because it's such a because. I, yeah. I can do it too, but it's your turn. Yeah. Well, by essentially, it's such a, a large concept, this idea of a gap analysis, and it, and it can be applied in, in many ways. I think that it's important because it gives you a focus and perspective, essentially. So mm -hmm. it, it gives you the focus on, okay, pay attention on what you're missing but also gives you perspective at the same time by allowing you to think what I want to become true later or soon in the near future. So it's, it's quite a clever kind of management tool, I would say, that, that, that can be applied in, in many fields, including science and biotech. Yeah. In, in, in biotech, like in, in the development of a, of a therapy, for instance, um, how, how many iterations of this, like in your own experience, Christian, you look at maybe a project at, at Andes, how, how many iterations do you kind of go through? Is this just a constant exercise? I would say so. It's not a, like a lucid kind of, okay, now it's time to start our gap analysis. It happens spontaneously. You realize that you want to be at certain place, certain time, with your programs and you're not getting there. Sometimes it's evident why you're not getting there, but sometimes it isn't. So you stop, reflect, and do like a little diagnostic of what's going on, what's going wrong, what we're missing. And, and you do it as a team. So essentially the one who is kind of leading the orchestra of all the work that is going on is integrating the pieces of information that at some points requires like a formal instance of discussion but usually it's driven by kind of the leader of the development programs mm -hmm. sometimes involves consultants when, yeah. when you have a real a session of gap analysis you don't know everything and you are you you are not a specialist on anything so let's say sometimes it's very it's very common among scientists you don't know too much about the market you don't know about how much money or price a product can command. Mm -hmm. And you might be against a wall there. But you ask somebody to help you and he brings it in the gap analysis and you get that. Anything that you don't know, you can get it outside. Yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what, what are the key steps um, to, to performing a, a gap analysis? Christian, I understand, like you said, it, it sort of happens spontaneously, but when yes, it happens, yeah. When it happens, it, it's got to follow some sort of a linear, linear sure. approach. Sure, yeah, it, I would say, what, do you want to give it a go or you want me to go, Paul? No, you, you can say, it doesn't matter, I'll, I'll get in. <laughs> All right, <laughs> uh, if, if you had, how can I put it? I'll, I'll explain it in two, in, two, in two ways. The general way is what you want to come true and what you need to do in order to achieve that. So that's the general thing. I'm here, I want to go there. What are we missing to actually get there? 
that's general. And in particular, you need to identify the area to be analyzed and also identify the goals you want to accomplish. Then establish the ideal future state and what you need to work towards uh, getting there. At that point, you need to compare the current state with your ideal state. And that will give you the gaps that, that essentially gives you the name of this method. And when you have those gaps, then you describe and try to quantify them. And probably that's the most tricky bit. So, so how far really um, are we? Is it like money only? Is it test? Is it what? And then you summarize that information uh, and kind of write it up or discuss it with your team as recommendations on how do we bridge those gaps. And, and that's it really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you propose solutions at the end. Of course. Because yes. if the problem is money, okay, then you start working on possible ways to do a capital call or do something that you get money. If the problem is that you don't have a technology around that, it will make you go faster. Well, then you start looking around for where that technology is available, how much it will cost, how we can get it. If the problem is an instrument, well, we, have, we need to buy that instrument soon and get the money to do it because it's detaining the advance of the project. Mm -hmm. In general, scientists are very bad for gap analysis, in general. <laughs> really? They have this gut feeling that they're doing well. Okay, it's, a, it's an optimistic gut, and, and you, they use the gut feeling to make decisions instead of making very accurate decisions through a process. And, but it's changing, I think. It's, that's very much at the beginning. As you have a project now, and you, a product, and you have to go to clinical studies, you have to develop other things and start looking at possible, possible collaborations for marketing if you can know it, do it alone, then the gap analysis becomes absolutely important. Mm. It's, it surprises me that you say that scientists would be bad at this. It seems like such well, a scientific print, you know, concept. It's formulaic well, and linear. Well, maybe I, I can qualify that. I think they are bad at that performing um, gap analysis outside of their areas of expertise. Mm. So if we're talking about their line of research, they're doing it all the time. But yeah. as a project uh, practice, they're probably not doing that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. They don't have a tendency, but actually they have to do it because once you have a startup, the scientist doesn't make all the calls. There is a board of directors, there are consultants, that immediately will indicate, hey man, you, you, are, you are sitting on something and not moving, what we do, you mm -hmm. see? So, so there is more people also that makes it possible to advertise to the scientists, hey, you need, let's do an analysis. They have a meeting where we do a gap analysis. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at citivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. 
That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. So let, let's talk about that uh, specifically in the context of moving a therapy forward, uh, you know, for perhaps into a, you know, the ultimate goal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Getting a therapy to, to clinic. Um, you're taking all this information in and analyzing it. How do you know uh, which studies to include? Of all, of all the data that you have, which studies to include, which to omit? What kind of goes into the process of, of uh, well, shaking, shaking those out? When you have a potential drug or product, for example, for cancer, undoubtedly you will have to do experiments in mice. In such, today, there are very, quite a lot of models of different cancers. So if you have a substance that seems to work in any cancer or in several cancers, by using these models, you may pinpoint the best cancer that you can use. Then second, somebody knows about cancer and markets and says, look, if you develop a product on this cancer, you're not going to get a lot of money because there are several in the market already. So it mm-hmm. gives you a variation over your animal experiments. And so you are constructing knowledge that makes you able to design clinical studies in the type of cancer. You cannot have every type of cancer in a clinical study. You need patients from a given cancer and you need to treatment. Then how you deliver the drug. You know, it's very easy to say, I'm going to do clinical studies, but you are going to do driven, uh, given the drug as an injection, as a, as a blood inject in, in the blood or in the muscle, or as a, as a pill that you have to eat, so on. So to develop a good clinical study, you need to know the formulation, the previous work on animals, the markets that you are doing, the regulatory issues. Because if you are developing something for kids, that's a very difficult regulatory issue because kids are highly protected by regulatory agencies. Mm-hmm. They don't want you fool around with kids. Yeah. So usually you start with adults and then start lowering the range of application of your drug, etc. There are so many things you need, something that is being developed in a computer, really, the different aspects of it. I can give yeah. you a hundred... <laughs> that will impact drug development. We have started more than 20 companies already. Mm-hmm. Correct. And now uh, the problems are completely different one from the other. Sure. There's but no... if, if, if you want to kind of generalize, I would say it, you need to work within a framework and that framework has some constraints, uh, which are basically the reality in which you are operating. And that sometimes... Um, you have a monetary constraints, time constraints, infrastructure, technical ability, and that's where you uh, hire consultants or, or, or specialists. So, so it's 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 kind of customized to each program, but it's also determined by by the assets, so to speak, that you have access to. And Dr. Valenzuela hit on hit on one of those uh, assets uh, in the fact that there's all this external information, all these data points, and you've and you know a, a lot of it's digitized. How how uh, 
which leads to the, the, the next question I had for you. How do you leverage that existing, you know, maybe public domain or external information to make your own gap analysis process less burdensome? Well, we use the literature. Today, you can access any paper published in the world at any time using, using well, the digital libraries. Mm -hmm. it's, available, it's available to you. In some cases still, but few cases, you have to pay $20 to get a paper. But in general, you can get a lot of information digi with digi digital libraries. Also, when you are in a field of work as a research, we're, we're talking in the research area, development area, you need also to see what other people are doing. So you go to the computer and you see what companies are developing this type of products. And second, you establish a conversation or something with people that are related to that company in such a way that you extend your relationships in something that is going to help you immediately or later. The same in basic with universities. So what we do, for example, at the foundation, we have a program which says foreign relations because Chile is sort of isolated. It's at the end of the world. Nobody goes to Chile passing by. Here in the U.S., <laughs> You see, you go from New York to California, you pass through it in Colorado, you give a talk in Colorado University. We don't have that, you see? Yeah. Universities use people that are moving around and they take it for a seminar. In Chile, we are isolated. So we have programs exactly to fight isolation, how we make content, and we have one very important with University of California, San Francisco, where professors and students go there once every two years to have meetings with our grad students. We have one with Institute Curie in France, with Institute Pasteur. We are developing some with University College in London. So we have to be part of the world, living geographically very end, at the very end of the world. Yeah, well, I can say uh, isolated for sure, but uh, about a month ago or so, I had a call with uh, Christian, a Zoom yeah. call where he was sitting on his balcony and I could see the Andes Mountains reflected in the glass door behind him. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think they were the Andes Mountains, correct me if I'm correct. wrong, but it made, no, me want, it made me want to visit. Uh, yes. Uh, it's a lovely destination. It's Once a lovely destination. You know who to invite, it's very easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that collaboration, to, to, you know, germane to the conversation we're having, that collaboration tends to, you know, build that body of, of, uh, of, of information and intellect necessary to, um, to, to, to do that gap analysis. Yes. And there are some yeah. other sources as well. You can look into regulatory documents and, and find what in some uh, areas of biomedical development are, are called predicates. So the guys that are before you in this regulatory path. Uh, previous submissions, also patents, and there are kind of two types of uh, freely or not so difficult to access uh, data. The one that it's published, but also the one that it's being produced. And the second one, it's harder to identify, and that's the one that you access through um, relationships and networks. What is that lab uh, researching or that company researching at the moment? That's not published yet. And that mm -hmm. type of information also helps you reduce your 
kind of um, information gathering costs of your gap analysis. Yeah. Yeah, but it requires uh, it requires some some net, you know some stout Network. networks. Yes. Yeah. 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 You you have to have a in order to do that effectively, you have to have a TV personality on staff. <laughs> Not necessarily. You need to have a Valenzuela in the team. <laughs> ah, this too. Yeah, killer combination. Um, you, you, Dr. Valenzuela, you mentioned that you know you 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 started twenty companies. Uh, yes. So this is uh, th this process is is probably uh, you know old hat for you, but uh, I'm curious if you could share with uh, with our audience again our audience consisting of uh, leaders of emerging biopharmas, many of them first time leaders. Where, where does this most often break down and, and what would you do to avoid that, uh, the, the likely breakdown? Where, where have you seen it break down most often? What do, you, what do you mean by breakdown? I didn't catch it. So that, that when, you know, performing a, a gap analysis, where do things uh, typically either break down or what is most commonly found that needs to be addressed? Well, usually it's fund, funding. Mm. When you start a small startup in Chile, funding in Chile for science is very limited, but we, we have ways to avoid the problems there. But when it goes into funding and explaining a guy that this is something of value that eventually may give a product, you know, we have to go to the private sector, the, the venture capital. And so the venture capital is key for the entrepreneurship of a country. And we are now moving into that area because in general, several of our small companies that we start are struggling to get finding, uh, funding. So that moves us into the systems of funding in Chile, like angels, venture capital, uh, private offices from families that have a lot of money, they do that too. And it's important, maybe uh, Christian can say, we are setting up our own venture capital group now. Yeah. At, yeah. at the foundation in collaboration with another with other entrepreneurs. Manager, yeah. So you can tell them. Yeah, please do, Christian. This is sort of an update for me on, as I mentioned, we, we spoke a month or so ago and I, I wrote an article uh, that you can find at bioprocessonline.com about the, the efforts of the, of the foundation that you two are, uh, are, are leading um, and, the, and the growth of the space in general down there, what's behind that growth. But uh, since then, I guess- This, this is this, new. This VC initiative has come to pass. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about it, Christian. Correct. So imagine the following: we have we have had like a like a portfolio of companies without being a fund. At the institute, spun out companies. We help them to raise capital and and help them also guide their their way through their regulatory hurdles, internationalization, business development, marketing, even setting up uh, manufacturing facilities in South America and in the kind of Western world as well. And in this kind of journey, we realized that we have always been on the side of the entrepreneur. And each time we needed money for A or B or C company, we went all again, we grouped, we contacted the people that has access to capital and started that process. And at some point, uh, quite 
recently we realized, hey, why don't we set up a fund to do this? So we kind of fill the tank with cash and then we deploy it not only for our companies, but for other biotech ventures that exist in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And we realized that no one was targeting that specific opportunity. We partnered with an asset manager that has been doing venture investment and other type of kind of finance, sophisticated alternative asset investments in South America. And we struck a deal and now we are, uh, I would say, almost about to launch a, the largest biotech VC fund for, for this part of the world. And it's been a super exciting, quite crazy experience. And mm. we're consolidating something, something unique. And, and it's amazing. We have talked to many players in South America, the, the entrepreneurs, their family offices, the funds of funds. Then we moved into the US and then Canada and then Europe. Today, we had some really good conversations with the World Bank. I mean, it's, it's, it's gaining so much traction that, I don't know, we, apparently we kind of hit a vein that, that was, we're solving a problem that was, that was desperately needing some support. Well, it's fertile ground. I mean, you know, it's, it's excellent news that, that uh, that's going to be available because it's, uh, as you and I spoke, Christian, it's fertile ground. There aren't any uh, you know, there aren't any major hurdles. There's an educated, you know, there's an education initiative from, from the early grades on, and, and it's producing educated talent that's globally trained. Uh, it's, a, it's an open borders kind of country. It's easy to do trade with. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds like the, the, that money, building, that, building the coffers, is, uh, it's a fertile place to do that. Yes. Yeah, and, and it's, been, it's been great. The, the reception, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You, you wouldn't believe the type of people that we have come across and, and, and the support we're gaining. So it's, it's a challenge, I think. It's not ready yet, but we're aiming to set up a $16 million VC fund, which is not too big for, for the North American VC standards, but it's the right size for the first fund for the region at the moment. And mm-hmm. And it's going to be incorporated in the U.S., but it will be deployed in in Latin America. So we'll join the club. Yeah. Well, congratulations <laughs> on that. Yeah. Thanks. And congratulations on your uh, continued work at, and success at at, at Andes. Um, and I we're believe it or not uh, running out of time here. So I, ah. I do I need. <laughs> it was a it oh. was a fast fast paced conversation, Doctor Valenzuela. Forever uh, in this field. I, I know, I know. We, we sure could. I'll give you an opportunity uh, to sort of share a concluding thought with us, whether that would be a concluding thought about uh, gap analysis or, or, or analysis or uh, digital technology and biopharma in the future, or uh, you know, the future of, of, of biotech in, in Chile. Well, there is no doubt that without digital technologies, we cannot move today in this world. So they are extremely useful for the biotech entrepreneurship, for the small companies, for the more larger companies, just like any other place also. So we need scientists and managers which know the technology, the digital technology very well. We need to have access to big data computers and we are having that because 
digital is the world to the work the world today absolutely yeah. so i cannot stress it any more than that well thank you it's an excellent point about uh you know scientists who have uh the, the computer chops to to do that job as well yes actually we're doing a lot of work digitally to model the coronavirus problem in chile we also have as one professor that we that was at MIT in big data one of the big guys in big data now is joining the the foundation so we are worried about this this particular field yeah. it's like a mega trend you know it in, in, in artificial intelligence is converging with with biotechnology and that and that will only accelerate things so uh, we're we're following that vector yeah Excellent. Well, Actually, continue. the army is giving us a grant of half a million dollars just the to US army. artificial intelligence and robotics. Wow. Yeah. We that's got it yesterday. Incredible. Yeah. And that's all computing. It's Nothing exciting else. times. It's exciting Indeed. times. Yes. Well, Dr. Valenzuela and Christian, I'm sorry, but we've, we've got to roll. We're out of time, but, uh, Thank you for joining me. Again, it was uh, an honor to have a conversation with you two. Um, and it was a fun conversation to have. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. That was Dr. Pablo Valenzuela and Christian Hernandez Cuevas. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva which offers a host of great resources for new and emerging biopharma companies on its Emerging Biotech Accelerator at citivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. And in the meantime, thanks for listening.